Well, I want to welcome you to week three of our sermon series that we are calling In the Beginning. It is a series based on the book of Genesis, and Genesis is all about beginnings. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. You're invited to follow along for the reading of God's Word in your bulletin. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Think avocado trees, mango trees, apple trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It's the word of the Lord. Many years ago, I met with a friend of a friend, and the man was struggling with depression. His marriage was really on the verge of collapse, and it was, uh, he had been married for about 15 years. And I remember asking the man, when was the last time you were happy? And when was the last time you and your wife were happy together? And he thought about it. I'll never forget his answer. He said, on our honeymoon. Ever since then, things have gone downhill. Believe it or not, his answer brings to mind for me the story of Adam and Eve. The story of Adam and Eve begins in Genesis chapter 1. We know the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything and everyone God made was... All right. Was good. Yeah, it was good. In Genesis chapter 2, God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, and God gave Adam the first commandment. In Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let the land produce animals, and God said. But now we have a commandment. In Genesis 1, verses 16 and 17, hear the first commandment that God gives to Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. When, when I read the very first commandment in all of Scripture, I wonder, perhaps you wonder too, 
what's so wrong with knowledge of good and evil? And why is it deadly? Why will it lead to spiritual death and physical death? Why will it lead to the death of our relationship with God now and forever, the knowledge of good and evil doesn't seem so bad to me. When I grew up, I grew up in a household that valued, put top priority on gaining knowledge. I remember in my middle school, there was a big sign that, that read, knowledge is power. If I'm honest, my wife and I lament the fact that we rely so heavily on search engines, maybe you've said this too, no one knows anything anymore. Alexa, what's the capital of Connecticut? Siri, who was the second president of the United States? All right, everyone knew Hartford. John Adams came in second as he did second president. So the, the point of all this is you can actually make the argument when it comes to the knowledge of good and evil, well, we don't want to be exposed or experience evil. There seems to be some benefit of knowing what is good so we can run to the good and knowing what is evil so hopefully we can run from that which is evil. So again, what's wrong with being knowledgeable, being informed? The answer is nothing. John Walter Walton, professor of Old Testament studies from the College of Wheaton, teaches that the tree of knowledge of good and evil actually goes beyond knowledge and information, get this, to determination. He cites a number of Old Testament scriptures where the phrase good and evil is found uh, in conjunction with speaking, hearing, and knowing. And, and here's what these verses teach us in the Old Testament. When one speaks of knowing good and evil and speaking that good and evil, it means that the speaker is deciding and declaring what is good and evil, speaking to decide and declare what is good and evil. When good and evil is combined with hearing, think of yourself as a judge in a, in a court of law. You're hearing a case and you're deciding the le legitimacy of the case, whether or not it was a crime and you're making a judgment statement. When, God, when good and evil is used with knowing, it refers to a person's capacity to discriminate, to discern, and determine what is good and evil. Discerning, deciding, declaring, and determining what is good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil goes beyond knowledge and information to determining the difference between good and evil. Christian author and pastor David Platt writes in his book, Countercultural, for the man to eat from this tree was to reject God as the one who determines good and evil. It is to reject God as the one who determines morality. The temptation in the garden was to rebel against God's authority and in the process make humans the arbiters of morality. To eat of the tree is to assume this authority for ourselves. Theologians say that at the heart of sin is humanity taking the place of God. It is to replace absolute truth with my truth. It is to replace God's unchanging word with my ever-changing word. When my feelings, desires, or lifestyles change, so does my morality. 
In this way, we have taken the place of God. We have said, I am my own God. To eat of this fruit is not only a violation of the very first commandment in all of Scripture, it's a violation of the first commandment, thou shall have no other gods before me. When we present ourselves as arbiters of what is right and wrong, good and evil, we are taking the place of God and we are presenting ourselves before God as our own gods. The truth is, it's really simple to, to look at people out there and, and see the ways that they're playing God, taking God's place. But the real work that we have to do is asking ourselves, doing a little soul searching and saying, how am I taking God's place in my own life? How perhaps have I compromised rather than committed myself to fulfilling God's word? I don't know about you, but I'm tempted every day to take God's place. It's our temptation as human beings to want to play God, to determine good and evil, moral from immoral, holy from sinful. So eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil goes beyond information and knowledge to determination. And when God gives the first commandment, everything is good except for one thing. In Genesis 1.18, we, we learn it is not good for man to be alone. And in Genesis chapter 2, God graciously brings Eve to Adam. And the first time that Adam lays eyes on Eve, he basically says, and you can read it, it's Hebrew poetry, he's basically like, we're married right now. And I can just imagine Eve looking around a little bit and saying, God, really? You gave me this guy? And Adam saying, hey, baby, I'm your only choice. And what do we do after we get married? Uh, if you're a teenager or you're a kid sitting with your parents, this is about to get awkward. Um, hopefully you go on your honeymoon. And what do you do on your honeymoon? This is a really good time to be Presbyterian. Thank you for not answering out loud. It was rhetorical. Let's all blush together on our honeymoon. We get naked. We stay naked. And if you're sitting here with your parents, you're thinking, please stop talking about this. I just have to give you one more verse. To verify the claim, Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So, going full circle back to our opening illustration, when was Adam last happy? On his honeymoon. When were Adam and Eve last happy? On their honeymoon together. And in Genesis chapter 3, it takes all of three pages in your Bible for things to begin to go down, 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 downhill. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty, more shrewd, more cunning than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the book of Revelation tells us who the serpent is. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 12. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. I personally wish that God had found another planet for Satan and his army. Maybe Mars. There's no life on Mars, right? Nothing can live there. Satan rebels against God. Satan is God's enemy. Satan and his army of demons were hurled down where? Here, to earth. And here's what Jesus says about Satan's heart, about Satan's mission statement. If you ever wonder what Satan was all about, just read what Jesus says about Satan in John 8 and John 10. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father 
of lies. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is God's enemy. Satan does not have the power to hurt God. God has won the battle and God has won the war. So how would Satan possibly inflict damage upon the Lord God Almighty? To go after him, he goes after us. We saw it last week, family. Genesis 1, you were made in the image of God. Among all created things, you are the most loved and you are the most valued by God. Satan goes after us to inflict pain upon the Lord. And Satan understands the way to inflict pain upon us, to get us to inflict pain on one another, and for us to live in communities that are hurting and ravaged. His strategy is to get us, he can't make us, but to get us to enter into sin. Sin. And he'll often use good things, things that are not sinful, to drag us away, allure us away, lead us astray, to have us turn away from the Lord. He'll also use bad things. And in the Garden of Eden, Satan clothes himself as a serpent. Satan manifests as a serpent. Or Satan is speaking through an actual serpent. And I've wondered, how did Satan do that? But Genesis 3 is really not interested in telling us how. Genesis 3 is interested in telling us how he leads our first parents astray and how he leads you and I astray, away from God. Husband and wife are together in the Garden of Eden. We know that. And Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and the scriptures say he said to the woman. Well, he, it is, I'm assuming they were both there. Satan only speaks to the woman. Why would he only speak to the woman? Why wouldn't he speak to both of them at the same time? Well, much to my wife's chagrin, I am the type of person who likes to watch animal shows. And I like to watch shows preferably of apex predators. And so, and you can see why my wife is, please, please how about Wheel of Fortune, maybe Jeopardy, something less violent? No, I want to watch the animal show. And what apex predators do to attack to kill and destroy, is they separate their prey from the herd. If you've seen these shows, it happens every time. Their attempt to destroy their prey is to isolate them from their community. Well, how do you think that Satan tries to get at us? He attempts to isolate us from Christian community. He isolates us from the place where we are safe where we can openly talk about what we're struggling with and we can seek protection and strength. This is why being in church on Sundays and small groups during the week are built into our church DNA. This is why Jesus commands us to do discipleship. Discipleship does not happen alone. I know we're very individualistic as, as a culture. Christianity is not an individual sport. It is not golf. It is football. We play together on teams. And so I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had this experience where I have a great Sunday morning service. I feel that Holy Spirit within me, thanking God for his peace, the reminder of his love. And then Monday happens. And I, I'm tell, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's 9, 12 a.m. And I feel like, what happened to that Holy Spirit, God, that Holy Spirit moment, that connection with the Lord? 
And that's why during the week, we meet in community so we're not isolated, so we're not vulnerable, so that maybe we can't become our own worst enemy. So action step number one for you today and maybe something that you want to pray about is getting involved in a small group. Maybe you check that box in your connection card and we talk about how you can get connected. And here's Satan's question. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? He just asked a simple question. Did God really say that you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The late pastor Tim Keller said that Satan is mocking God. Did God really say is like asking, can you believe God really said that? God, he's so ridiculous. God is so out of touch. God is so outdated and so archaic. Can you believe the nerve of your God? Who does he think he is telling you what to do? How dare God say what you can and cannot eat? What's God going to say next to you? What you can and cannot drink? Who you can and cannot sleep with? What you can and cannot do with your money? When will it ever stop? Don't let this tyrannical, crafty, shrewd, cunning, controlling, restrictive God hold you down. Satan asked the question to Eve so that Eve will question God's character. Satan asked this very question so that we will question God's goodness. The question is forced to make us ask, is God really good? Is God really trustworthy or is God withholding something good from me? And Eve responds to the question the same way we do. She misquotes the scriptures. She, she, gets, part of, uh, she gets part of it right, but she doesn't get the whole scripture passage right. And it, you know, Lord willing, we see Adam and Eve in heaven. You know, so I don't want to come down too hard on them, but there's this piece of give me a break. You only had one commandment. All you had was one thing you had to remember. We have an awful lot more commandments. You couldn't remember the one commandment. She misquotes the scripture. Who did God give the scripture to? The commandment. Who was it to? Did, did God speak directly to Eve in the garden? No. God spoke to Adam, which means he probably misquoted it first. Well, she was saying it back to Satan, and he didn't say anything, which means he probably agrees. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the, tr the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Not true. God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat it. Here's what I want you to see. We're in the season of Lent. Often throughout church history, we begin Lent with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. Satan's getting him to question his own identity. How does Christ respond? By quoting the scriptures perfectly. He knows the scriptures. He uses the scriptures as his weapon, and Satan ultimately flees from him. Second application point for you today. Where are you being attacked in your life? What lies are you believing about yourself? What lies are you believing about your future? What lies are you believing about relationships that you're in? Learn one scripture on the topic. I'm saying pinpoint it. Not a random scripture, but learn one scripture. Write it down, pray it, memorize it, say it, sing it when you're under attack. Satan will flee. Second, Satan's native language is lies. Jesus Christ is the truth. Satan is a liar. You only know if he's lying if you know the scriptures. Here's what Satan says to, to Eve. You won't die. Come on, you won't die. Do you know what's going to happen to you? You'll become like God. Oh, this is going to be great for you. 
You're going to become like God. Your eyes will be opened and you'll know good and evil. Here's the lie, and it's pertaining to sin. You can do this. No one will know. It's going to be fine. No one will get hurt. Oh, oh, this sin of yours, it's, it's not really sin. It'll be good for you. It won't kill you. It'll bring life. It'll make you feel alive. It won't bring death. It'll bring happiness, not hurt. It'll be good. Sin, it'll be good for your marriage. I, I could see Satan with a commercial. Sin, it'll be good for your career. Sin, it'll be good for future generations. Sin, you can pass it all the way down the line. Why do we listen to the lie? Why do we ignore or compromise on God's commandments? Why do we sin? You know the answer. It looks good. It feels good. That gossip, I know it tears you down, but it builds me up. That judgment, it just makes me feel better than you, and I want to feel better. The drunkenness, it helps me to forget, and there's so much I have to forget. The greed, it makes me feel safe and successful. This is how Satan comes after your relationship with God. It's really simple. Three letters, sin. S-I-N, sin. This is how he, he aims to destroy your relationship with God and with those you love and cherish. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, it looked so good. She took some and ate it. She gave some to Adam. He ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened Get this, they were naked, right? In Genesis 1.18, they were naked, and everything was good. There was no shame. It was holy. It was worshipful. Hallelujah. There was nothing wrong. They eat the fruit, and they realize they're naked. They cover themselves with fig leaves together. They make coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve see the bait. They neglect the hook. You read the book of Genesis. Read it. Everything seems to go downhill from that point forward. In eating the fruit the knowledge of good and evil, they introduce sin, evil, and death to the human race. Romans 5.12 says us that, tells us that through one man, through Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus death spread to all people, you and I, because all sinned. Sin infects every pe person. Sin infects every relationship. Sin becomes a part of the human condition and sin is a terminal condition. The wages of sin are death. And if you're one of those people who says people are inherently good, and we're created in the image of God, so just note, I'm not saying that we're not capable of doing anything good ever. I'm not making that statement. But you think that just people are mostly good, they're inherently good. Just come over for dinner, bath time, and bedtime. I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. We didn't teach them to do any of the things they do during those three events. I'm going to close here. You got, you got a little left in the tank? All right, good. We got three people who are still listening. That's fine. <laughs> Adam and Eve are in perfect harmony with creation. As husband and wife, they're living in perfect harmony. It, it's what the Bible describes as shalom, wholeness, peace, full life, eternal life, life with God. Everything is, is right. And after they eat from the tree, they're naked and they're ashamed. Hasn't that happened to all of us? At some point we realize that we're naked and we're ashamed, that there's something wrong with us. Here's what's happening, I want you to see this. They realize they've done something wrong, they've sinned. With sin comes guilt. Guilt means I did something wrong. 
when sin is not dealt with, when it's denied that it's sin, when we don't confess it, when it's not atoned for by God, when we don't receive God's sacrifice for our sin, sin becomes guilt and guilt becomes shame. Shame doesn't just say I did wrong. Shame says I am wrong. I am evil. There is something wrong with me. Adam and Eve don't simply feel guilty about what they've done. They feel shameful about who they are. And what they do next is so human. Their story is our story. They take cover and they hide. They take cover and they blame one another. They take cover and they refuse to take responsibility. They take cover and they play the victim card. Oh, Lord, it was her fault. Oh, Lord, it was the serpent's fault. They take cover and hide. And what does God do to them? God seeks to save the lost. He pursues them. And and here's the reality. They don't confess their sin. They don't ask for forgiveness. And they're in the cycle of sin and guilt and shame and running away from God. Sin, guilt, and shame, running away from God. They cover themselves and hide. And Adam and Eve are not forgiven. They're not. Just read the chapter. They're cursed. They're cursed by God. And here's the first hint of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, God is already making a way for our salvation. God has already planned to to send our Savior. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Before God removes them from the Garden of Eden, the Lord God made garments of wineskin for Adam and his wife Eve. He clothed them and he covered them. Here's what he's trying to teach us. We've tried to cover up our own sin and guilt and shame with fig leaves, just like Adam and Eve. And before they leave the garden, God covers them. What God is saying is the ways that you've tried to cover yourself from your sin are insufficient. They'll never work. It's not enough for you to be a good person to cover your sin. Good works are not enough for you to cover your sin. Trying to be successful in other areas of your life is not enough to cover your sin. Denying that it's sin, justifying it and excusing it and blaming others is not enough to cover your sin. It's not enough to cover your sin. You cannot cover your own sin. And God says this, Would you just let me cover your sin? Would you stop trying? Would you you just let me do it? The covering that God gives to Adam and Eve anticipates the coming of the covering for sin that God was preparing through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the New Testament, we hear about the sin of the first Adam and then the coming of who? The second Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam, he came to earth and he came from the earth into existence. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, he came down from heaven. The first Adam is placed in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. While the first Adam turned from the Father in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, turned to the Father. And while the first Adam struggled with a command about a tree, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, struggles with a command about a tree, and it's the tree that you and I call the cross of Calvary. While the first Adam's sin brought thorns, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. While the first Adam sinned at the tree, Jesus bore our sin on a tree. While the first Adam was naked and ashamed, Jesus was nearly naked and bore our shame. The first Adam died a sinner, Jesus died for sinners. Adam came from the dust of the earth, Jesus rose from the dust of the earth. 
Adam put himself in God's place. Jesus was God putting himself in your place. Through Adam came sin onto the earth. Jesus promises a new heaven and a new earth. The story of the fall of humanity is our story. We've eaten from the tree. We've fallen victim to the cycle of sin and guilt and shame, and it's not the end of the story. Our story is the story of the God who came to seek and save and cover our sins. Believe this good news. When you believe it, when you let it into your heart, you'll know that God is trustworthy. God is good in God's word. All of God's word is for our good. God's final word on the matter of sin and guilt and shame is Jesus Christ. So this week, don't fall victim to Satan's attacks. Today is a call to pursue God, a call to pursue community, a call to pursue God's word and to understand that God does not withhold any good things from his children, that God has given us his very best, his one and only son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.